Welcome to Playmakers Impact Unleashed, your all access pass to the game changers of today and the history makers of tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, sports industry veteran, author and speaker, founder of Purpose Labs, and your guide through an inspiring journey of courage, comeback, and transformation. Let's take a no BS look beyond the trophy cabinet to unleash every guest's impact and how they've achieved both success and significance so we can apply those same purpose-driven principles in our own lives and careers. As playmakers, let's get ready to lock arms and take action so we can all level up and make a play together. On today's show, we'll be interviewing Michelle Kajiwara, Senior Vice President at AEG and Staples Center. And while you might be thinking that we're going to go super deep on the professional side, eh, on the contrary, we're going to go even deeper on the personal side. We'll even kick off the conversation with how when Michelle and I met, one of us actually got rejected. More on that in a bit. So when we zoom out from rejection, we think of it as a form of adversity. Adversity is another key theme of this conversation. So if you showed up today just wanting to hear about the peaches and the cream, this ain't the show for you. But if you love a good comeback story, if you love hearing about transformation, if you love people that get up off the mat, then this show is 100% up your alley. One of the things that stands out from my conversation with Michelle, and you'll hear us reference the most recent year that was of 2020, a massive year of adversity, largely around what was a pandemic. This pandemic, we heard on the news all the time how unprecedented it was. And I certainly can appreciate that relative to the medical side and the health side. And by all means, our hearts go out to anybody that was impacted by the disease itself. Thinking about us inside of our homes and the domino effects of the pandemic, let me know if this sounds familiar. In 2020, I felt fear, risk, uncertainty, anxiety. Was that part of it unprecedented? Maybe the medical side was, but were those feelings unprecedented? Or can we trace back in our past nine months, two years, five years, have we ever felt fear or risk or uncertainty or anxiety? Of course we have. So in actuality, there's a lot of power in the thought of you've been here before. Maybe it came about based on a different environmental circumstance, but the way it made you feel and the emotions on the inside, you've been here before. So now we go back into that moment where you overcame it and you say, how did I get up off the mat relative to those feelings? Was it a shift in mindset? Did I make decisions in a different way? Did I show up with different actions or behaviors? 
And whatever that play pattern was that worked for you in the past to overcome the fear, the risk, the uncertainty, the anxiety, which we all know are temporary states, learn from it and apply it to the present. So now we can put the armor on for the inevitable adversities that are ahead. This is only one of the insights on how to cultivate more grit and resilience that I learned from the conversation with Michelle. If you're digging it and if you want to dive in further, I think you will absolutely love where we go relative to not only overcoming adversity, but being a playmaker that's built to last. With that, let's dive in. Big thanks to Audible.com for being a sponsor of today's show. As playmakers, we're all about leveling up and lifelong learning. So what could be better than a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com? With over 200,000 titles to choose from, there is no limit to what you can explore. Perhaps... And these are just a few of my personal favorites. You want to check out The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Consider this chicken soup for the soul of personal growth. Or maybe you dive into Grit by Angela Duckworth, where she unpacks the power of what happens when passion meets perseverance. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to Audible. Playmakerspod.com. Today, we're welcoming in Michelle Kajiwara, one of the most passionate and purpose-driven people I know. Join us as we navigate a journey from sleeping on a park bench to eventually rise up the corporate ladder and sports leadership ranks, where Michelle now serves as Senior Vice President of AEG and Staples Center. Built on a foundational belief that in order to achieve true success and fulfillment, we have to stay humble and stay hungry. You'll hear about some pretty amazing world travels, even a deep dive on one of my favorite topics, leadership. But not just leading others, Michelle will unpack how to lead oneself. I can't wait for you to get this front row seat as we dive into Michelle's world on this episode of Playmakers. Michelle, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I am so awesome. Thanks for having me. I want to take us back to memory lane and also bring our entire audience into how you and I met. This is something that I vividly remember. And whether it was our first encounter, it was certainly one of our first. I'm at the Clippers looking to make a big jump into AEG. You were the hiring manager at the time. And lo and behold, you took a hard pass. And so one of those things that I will always go back to is, and you have been so, so fundamentally strong in teaching this and mentoring this through to me from the years to follow, that there's several core principles that you're all about, but two that stand out are humility and hunger. And if I'm being completely transparent, I only had one of the two at the time. It wasn't until I built my humility and I pushed aside my ego that I think our relationship blossomed and then we started to really lock arms 
on the hunger piece. So my question back to you is, where did the hunger come from? If we talk about roots, you go through your personal journey from the land across the ocean where you are now to present day, there's got to be something underneath that hunger. Where does it come from? You know, I'd love to be able to say that it was something I nurtured or developed over the years as a mindful practice, but really it's something that I believe inherently lives in people. And, and part of my background is that my mom was the first baby born in an internment camp. And, mm. um, and I think from there, there was a recognition point in our family of being just extremely grateful for all of the things uh, that we are given. And that humility in knowing that everything can and was actually taken away from our mm -hmm, family, mm -hmm. just like that, uh, really frames your mindset to be able to appreciate and find silver linings, even in scenarios like we find ourselves today in this pandemic. 100%. And so that's sort of been the deep rooted uh, philosophy that wasn't even articulated, but was more mm -hmm. just part of how we grew up. And when you're in Hawaii, it is unmistakable that the respect for nature, the importance of family, and this spirit of aloha that you just, I haven't found very many other places and certainly mm -hmm. not in my day to day when I'm in California and I'm working sure. crazy hours and all of these other things. Um, you know, this gives you again, that appreciation and it keeps you, um, really motivated to keep giving back and to stay really grounded in where you came from and just appreciate all of the gems and nuggets and things that yeah. come along the way. And so I think that that's really framed the way that my mentality is and that hunger just never goes away because it it's a multiplier. The hungrier you mm -hmm. are, the more you get back, the more that you um, engage, the more that you network, the more that you give. And it's not because there's an expectation that you're gonna get something back. It naturally happens when you have this veracity for life, for work, for relationships, mm -hmm, for mm -hmm, everything mm -hmm. that you can give yourself to. And that's what I love about that. It's it's impossible to not, not have that and see it as just an, an amplifier of all things good. Yeah. So I totally agree with everything you just said. So my question is, it seems like a lot of that hunger was inherent. It was natural. Obviously you can cultivate and develop, but that's really to bring everybody else into this Everyone listening in wants to level up personally, professionally. They want to unleash their impact. And that's really the characteristic. That is the common denominator of everybody tuning in right now. So my question is, nobody would push back on the thought around, is hunger important? That would be a hell yes. Now, how do we build hunger or can it be built if you meet somebody that may not be as fired up as you or I or somebody listening in? How do you coach people through that? You know, that's an interesting point. And I think it goes back to just what I said around momentum. You can't just start with just this insatiable, you know, fire inside yeah. of you. I think it starts as a spark and you start to, and this is true of a lot of what I do and why I have been able to find some level of success is because mm -hmm. it starts small. It starts with an idea. It starts with an inception. It starts with a spark. And my job yeah. and our jobs as coaches and leaders is to fan that fire and to show the result of why it's important to like 
double down yes. on those kinds of energies and it eventually grows. And when you start to see that mature and you start to see a bonfire, it's impossible to not know that that was a direct result of you feeding something that is going to give mm -hmm. you exponential benefits down the road. And so I don't think it's a zero to 80 come in, have fire. I do look to hire people that have some small burning ember in there yes, and you can ignite yes, yes, it. Yes. Um, but you have to recognize that. And I think it's different for everybody to see how they can spark that joy or that energy or that hunger towards something. Right. And then right. watch that translate into um, into other things. And, and that's the way we germinate ideas. That's how we come up with best processes and, and mm -hmm. protocols is because it starts as a little seed that you water and you, you put some sunlight on. And then all of a sudden yeah. it's you've got buy in because everybody's yeah. tending to this incredible garden. So let's say a handful of years ago, I found that fire. I was hungry, I'm absolutely just shooting out of a cannon, and I built massive momentum using some of your words here, all the way through 2019, and then bang, March of 2020 hits. And to your point, even on the personal side, things have been taken away. We don't have the same access, the same resources as we typically could from a personal level of connection to a professional level of opportunity. These are real things. 2020 leveled the playing field. So how do you sustain hunger through a year like we're experiencing now and even into the future? What's that sustainment piece look like when shit does really hit the fan? Well, you touched on it earlier is this idea that I, I, I bring up a lot of um, being humble and being hungry. And that's where the humility piece layers in mm. knowing that everything can be taken away from you at any point, um, you know, really keeps you, you humble. And because you're humbled, whether by something that's a pandemic or you're humbled by um, an injury ending um, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, player being taken out, a championship being taken from you, uh, whatever yeah. it is, there's so many sure. things in sports that can derail the success or the path that you thought you were on and getting mm. those no's going back to just where you started, where we started in our relationship, like for me being told no and getting those hard stops has um, allowed me, I think, to really take stock in what I appreciate. And uh, it's helped me double down on just making sure that I do stay hungry because at any point in my life, I might have to rebuild. And if I don't have the yeah. tools and if I don't have the appetite to go out and do that again for myself, you're dead in the water. Um, and so that humility and hunger piece really play off of each other. And I believe that they are just these great elements um, that in tandem help propel you through not just the good, right? Yep. Staying yep. hungry is oftentimes more prevalent and more necessary in the bad times. Absolutely. Right? Like got to go after it, got to go find it, got to innovate, got to figure out ways um, to satisfy whatever it is that we need to accomplish. Um, and so uh, yeah. that you, you boil that down to just the basics, right? How am I going to survive yeah. financially? How am I going to, you know, supplement my health? How am I going to do all of these things that build on each other to ultimately make us successful? So I hope that answered yeah. the question. But those two things no, are it does. a real yin yang um, that works so well together if you can apply them.
It does. And I've actually heard you talk before about owning the bad. And so, you know, we could look at you now and we can, we see the trophy case we see, and your journey is far from done. And I know you and I love you as a friend, as a mentor, as a coach, all of these different things. I know you have so much ahead of you, but if I were to just pop in, I don't know who Michelle Kajiwara is, or as I call you Kaji and many folks do, I look at your LinkedIn profile and I'm like, oh my gosh, senior vice president, Staples Center, what a badass. Like she totally just did everything. But you and I both know that it's not as pretty as LinkedIn makes it looks. There are some hard left turns. There is transformation that is needed. In your case, owning that bad. So you talked about humility. Let's unpack that. If I think of a journey, and of course, part of this process is Google is our friend. So I get to know a lot about you that I haven't heard from you at leading up to this podcast. And one thing that you shared in an interview in the past, which I found absolutely fascinating, was from sleeping at the YMCA to a park bench, to now present day, we see the senior vice president and there's a ton of stuff in between. So take us back to those early moments, those humbling moments where maybe you had to own the bad, but what were those early learning examples that you could share with us that, that would essentially bring us all into your world so we could transform with you? I think part of uh, being on, on the bench and, and having to sleep at the YMCA and crashing at like a waiter's house, that was all, <laughs> those were all um, reasons for me getting to New York and wanting to live in, in the city and not having yeah. a place or a job or the resources to get a hotel room. But they all go back to sort of this one driver in my life of, if you really want it bad enough, there's a way and you will figure mm -hmm. it out and you will you will find the right people to align with that will be with you on your journey. And it's not always going to be pretty, uh, but mm -hmm. you've got to be able to accept that that's all part of the journey. And, you know, you take the good, the bad. I think some of the things I've learned along the way, I've had, you know, tough jobs and I've had screamers of for bosses for as long as yeah. I can remember and building that thick skin and being able to compartmentalize the personal from the professional and letting yeah. things roll off your back. And also then taking to heart some of the nuggets of truth in all of the things that come back as criticism and mm -hmm. learning from, from those things. I remember early on, and this goes back to just having way too much hubris. It's, it's yeah. easy on the path towards success to start getting promotions, to feel like you have it figured out to right. start feeling like you've come into your own. And that's where I think the real danger um, strikes. And that's where you get leveled. And if you don't mm -hmm. know how to rebuild, if you don't know how to own your mistakes, if you don't know how yeah. to, um, to pivot and operate as somebody who is humble and who the rules do still apply to, if you can't learn that behavior, I've seen so many people taken out um, in politics, in sports, in every industry because of hubris. Yeah. And so early on, you know, I just got in over my skis. And um, I remember a specific instance where I overserved myself. I was having a little too much mm -hmm. fun. And I didn't get the company memo that we were reeling back on the, you know, <laughs> the party train. I'm still out there. And that's not how you want to be remembered or recognized, especially as somebody who is still crafting their brand. And, yeah. um, and so I've had to really dial it back in certain areas just around being yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't be authentic. 
Um, right. In, in no way does it mean that, but it does mean that there are certain um, gear shifting that needs to happen in every scenario and at certain intervals in your career path. And, you know, I look at some of the challenges that I've had in, um, you know, fertility, for example, that's not one mm -hmm. that's like way out there for, for me and my storytelling. But you look yeah. at challenges like that, where nobody is seeing that on LinkedIn or Instagram, or right. that's not part of your narrative, really forward facing narrative. But it's something that I do share because I feel it's important to recognize that there are a lot of challenges that people are experiencing behind the scenes that you just don't know about. So you got to give everybody mm -hmm. a little bit of a break um, yeah. in recognizing that there are family things that are happening. There are personal things that are happening. There are so many layers to how somebody shows up. And so I look at those as challenges for sure, mm -hmm. but also massive opportunities for growth spurts and understanding what my bandwidth is and more importantly now how to how to better manage the amount of things that I take on and think that I need to justify doing and participating in and like mm -hmm. and then where's enough and and so for so long in your career in my career at least it was I have to do it all I have to I can't show <laughs> one crack of weakness. I can't show one fracture in who I am and how I'm showing up because that would just be debilitating. Um, and now I'm embracing more of the, it's okay to call an audible and say, I need, I need to take yep. some time or I don't have the answers or I don't have, um, or I can't do that right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and one thing, many things struck me in what you just shared. Uh, so appreciate your openness and transparency and the, where I want to take us is authenticity. You said it. And if personally, it's one of my core values. And so this is something where it lights me up when I'm around authenticity and it demoralizes me when I'm around the opposite. Like it's bigger than a pet peeve. Like I'm, it's, it's more than a hard pass. Like it is just a walk away. And frankly, one of the things that I struggle with is the redemption story of somebody that maybe at one point wasn't authentic, but then not giving up on them forever because you never know what's going on behind the scenes to your point. And so in your case, you brought up fertility. Everybody may have that one thing. And if not today, then something may pop up tomorrow in a month or in a year. And so my piece here is, and you also brought up bandwidth, that brings us to a really interesting place. How big is your team right now, Michelle? Well, you know, again, in the pandemic, we've had to have some pivots, yeah. but we're, we're, we're hovering at like 24 to 30. Okay. So 24 to 30, those are some people will look at that and say that's head count air quotes of 24 to 30. Others will say that is 24 to 30 lives. Those are 24 to 30 people, humans, like that is somebody's son, daughter, like everybody's got that story. So my piece is you are jamming hard. You're just blazing trails and whether it's virtually in a pandemic or in a traditional sense, Staples Center is hosting events. It feels like every night and I'm sure once you're in it, that's what it is. So how do you tap into the authenticity of 24 to 30 people? Because that's a big ask, like time equals relationships. 
bandwidth, time is scarce. Time is a finite resource. So how do you get to know folks so that if they were perhaps going through something like what you shared, you would be able to have empathy for that with a team of that size? Yeah, um, I am really intentional about making sure that quarterly, I have a one-on-one with every single person on my staff where we just shoot the shit, we talk about personal stuff. It is not layered in with production and goals or anything business related, it can be. But I'm more Mm -hmm. just interested in checking in on how they are doing and we have a real conversation. And I don't think those would go anywhere if that wasn't two sides participating in dialogue that's real. And I am very much an open book because I can't tell you how many times you share something or a vulnerability or a misstep and somebody says, oh, that resonates with me and that's helped a ton. Mm -hmm. And to see that it's, you know, people are infallible. People do have um, challenges and don't outwardly show it. Um, It it helps humanize the conversation. And so I do spend one-on-one time with everybody. We also layer in into our staff We have quarterly all staff engagements, if not monthly. Um, I have work to live quarterly programs. Again, this is Ah. all a little bit skewed, but work to live is something where we come together. Everybody takes holidays, does weekends. We come back to the office. Everybody's done incredible things, found new hikes and restaurants and speakeasies. And it's like, how was your weekend? Great. See you never like, and we're back at it and you're in the pit and you're working events. And it's like, no, that person just had an incredible game changing holiday with their family. They yeah. saw like, you know, whatever. And we just blow by it cause we're too busy or you get so sick of telling the story over and mm-hmm. over and over that it just gets old. You're like, it was great. And you just want to move on. <laughs> so we try to bring intention to sharing, sharing why life, is the generator of everything and not work mm-hmm. taking the focus off of and work is so important don't get me wrong but we we do call it work to live because i want to know how you are showing up in the world and how you're using this job as a vehicle to touch and change and experience a lot of other things and we have yeah. staff retreats we commune with wolves we do a lot of work around our people And Mm -hmm. I hope that my team recognizes that that is the number one resource. That is where I spend the majority of my time because we can have an incredible game plan. We can have a business Mm -hmm. strategy. But if you don't have the right people bought in, if you don't know where to meet them and how to motivate them, those things really fall flat. And so... There's so many things, Paula, that that we try to do to make sure that we're so invested in our people and that each and every one of them knows that I care about all of them uniquely Mm -hmm. and profoundly. And so I do spend a lot of time on that. And everything else, I will have to sacrifice time to make sure that, um, you know, I'm contributing. Obviously, we need to put up revenue. Obviously, of course. we, yeah. um, you know, have big targets. Uh, but again, you got to have the right people in place to do that. Yeah, no, uh, love it. And we're going to stay here. Work to live. Uh, I'll share a quick story with you and then tee you up for something that I see as more of a global or international piece of which you have a lot of experience in. So I want to get there. 
But this takes me back to when I made my first move away from home. That was Clippers to the then New Orleans Hornets. Now they're the Pelicans. So New Orleans, totally different vibe, totally different identity from LA. Not only big to small city, but just the, the authenticity of people. Whereas I know LA has a brand and it's a total melting pot and it, the good comes with the other side. But LA, or excuse me, New Orleans, it is hearts of gold. And so one of the earliest lessons that I personally was taught by a couple that was sitting across the bar, actually, and they said, oh, you California boys. And, you know, I'm hanging out with a couple of coworkers. They said, when you say, how are you? It's a greeting. And I said, yeah. They, they said, here, how are you? is a question. Like, I genuinely want to know the answer. Don't just keep walking past me. Well, like you said, in the cubicle farm or wherever it is, if I ask, how are you? How was your weekend? I genuinely am going to stop and listen for the answer. It's not just a BS greeting. And unfortunately in society, I think it has become a greeting, but how awesome would it be if how are you is always a question? I love that. And you had yeah. probably some of the best conversations and relationships because <laughs> you were dialed in and you were present. Yeah. And that's a big part of all of this is you can do the work, you can set up the meetings, but if you're like checking your phone and distracted, yeah. that person's not getting out of anything out of it and, and neither are you. And, and I find myself going on walks these days and listening to a podcast and getting to a stop sign and be like, I have no idea what that person just talked about for the last 15 minutes because my mind. So mm -hmm. if I can't settle in and be present with what I'm doing and who I'm talking to, then don't do it and like yeah. stop and actually just, you know, get focused on what it is that you need to do. If you need to brain dump, if you have a lot of thoughts, if you've got to like meditate and get centered again, like whatever that is, don't do the disservice yeah of not participating in something that you volunteered or asked to <laughs> participate did. in, right? You like did. what a joke, but we do it all the time. So here's something I want to share with everybody listening in, and this is just a quick coaching piece, but I was actually trained on this and now I've paid it forward to train others. And there's actually some biology behind this. So they call it, there's a thinking speed and a talking speed. So you just gave an example of your mind moving a million miles an hour. You're at the stop sign. You're like, what the heck was I just think or doing or listening to for the last 15 minutes? That's because we process things at a much faster clip than at the speed that people speak at. So the analogy here is think of what people are saying as words being written on a whiteboard. And when you find that your mind wanders, pull out the eraser and erase the whiteboard, start at a blank canvas, be where your feet are and hang on the edge of your seat from that point forward. So in other words, biologically we're wired where we're not bad people. Sometimes Kaji's just going, 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 going. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I missed the last 30 seconds. So what she said, cool, can't take the last 30 seconds back, but I can erase that whiteboard right now and pick up the next word going forward. So just wanted to share that with you. Always remember when you lose your train of thought, just erase the whiteboard. I love that. It's it also runs parallel to how fast I eat and how fast my body's actually digesting <laughs> the food. So makes perfect sense. Oh, there, there you go. Great life advice. Yes. Starting in business, going to life. <laughs> so you have going back to work to live and something that I know you are massive on. And part of the reason I know you're with family out there in Hawaii, but just generally speaking, I feel like half the times that we're connecting, 
you are either coming off or going to some exciting place because I know part of your core character and identity is the richness that exists around the world. Like you would not be Kaji if we planted you in LA for the rest of your life. It, 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 you would not be whole. And so part of it is, A, I want to know what's the most awesome place you've ever been to because I'm sure everybody's wondering about that because you've been to every corner of the globe. And B, we've all heard the the saying of, do you live to work or do you work to live? And from a foreign perspective, they think of the US as we are work, 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 work. And a lot of other cultures, like Italy is one that I've fallen in love with. They live, like they are there, or Costa Rica, Pura Vida, just a few examples. So for you, A, what's the most awesome place you've ever been to? And B, why are these travels so important and how have you applied it to your life back at home? This is my favorite question because it's um, something, it's a thread through the entire fabric of my life that has been consistent and um, continues to give back to me in so many um, unique ways. My my favorite place to record, I have two two things to say on that. One was um, Hoi An on the coast of Vietnam, and I was there mm. over 20 years ago. It was completely underdeveloped. It was all illuminated by lanterns. There's little walkways. It's a small little Venice, and you eat white rose petals. And I was at internet mm. cafes by myself, um, checking in, wandering streets. They had untouched beach, beaches with one little thatched umbrella and nothing else. And I told my husband, wow. this is my favorite place on earth. And we went back and it was golf courses, high rises, beach, you know, shacks and shops. And it just became mm -hmm. massively overdeveloped, which means that like the most precious and remote places on this world will only be like that for so long. So that fuels my, mm -hmm. my appetite for like, get out there and go to the furthest corners as soon as you can before we decimate it commercialize it mm -hmm. and it and remove all the charm of what it once was um, that being said the my favorite place now is um, an island called Fernando Ginoronha and I'm sorry if I butchered that to any brasileros <laughs> out there um, but it is a small island that is very preserved and they have a you know kind of club mentality of like two in two out they, okay. they manage the amount of people that are on the island. It's very rich in scuba diving. And one of my husband's good friends got married there. So we got Patty certified and we went uh, diving with the entire wedding party, including the bride's 80-year-old dad or grandpa who yeah. was like going deep water with us. It was incredible. So that place is beautiful, totally um, unspoiled and wild and just incredible. So um couple notes on two of my favorite places one yeah that's i love that no longer and one that is thankfully being preserved and i guess the gift of travel i speak to the most is that it's constantly getting you out of your comfort zone you strip away all the things that you rely on um mm -hmm. like time uh currency language food travel um yeah. weather uh, all of these things, and you're you're meant to be more resourceful. You have to ask people for help. Mm -hmm. You need to engage, and you need to get dialed in to a culture that is not your own. And I love that because in doing so, you come back to whatever environment you're in in Los Angeles, and AEG is a cultural melting pot. 
And mm-hmm. so if I didn't have an appreciation for the way that people value money in India or China or Brazil or Japan, or the way that we culturally engage and hand out a business card, eat our meals, sit at a table, like all these nuances are so important to appreciating who you're sitting across from. And I, I love that because it really, again, humbles me to the point that I don't want to bring America to said place. I want to bring me and I want to embrace and become and respect as much of your culture as, as I possibly can. And that diversity and richness in conversation and appreciation for just how many different uh, cultures there are, it it enriches me. And I just go as hard as I can for as long as I can. I, I generally don't get sick. I generally don't take days off. Um, I take time off to travel. And when Mm -hmm. I go, I go far. And that allows me to dial into this thing that's always been a part of my life that makes me feel whole. It's not going to make me feel balanced. I don't believe there's balance in work and life. I believe there's a blend. And when I'm on holiday, I'm I'm looking at my laptop every day. I am. But I'm okay doing that. It's a part of my job that I love. It's helped keeping me like, you know, above water so I don't come back to a complete avalanche of work. And I don't mind doing it. And, you know, for everybody, it's a little bit different. But I have found a way to create this harmony that is Mm -hmm. that requires me to get off the grid um, every single year. And I've been unapologetic about it for as long as possible. And I encourage it in my team. Um, they all know I'm constantly like, you got to get out of here. Like go further, go harder, like get out. Um, yeah, because the richness of what you get out of this earth and nature and people is so rich that if you're not experiencing that on some level, I feel like, um, there's a little bit of missing out. And that's not to say that that doesn't happen in the 50 United States, right? There are amazing parks people are exploring. There's amazing cultures within our culture. So it's everywhere. Yeah. And and you said a word uh, roughly a minute ago now, harmony. And people talk about work-life balance. And I know that you've been unapologetic, whether it's organizationally with your team, just overall, just who you are. You've said, guys, like this is a chance to recharge. This is a chance to reassess. This is a chance to tap back into the self-awareness that you need to understand how you can come back with greater empathy and understanding and perspective. And it's all about perspective, but really that fork in the road of work-life balance personally. And while I think it's a utopian thought, it's, it's physically bullshit. There's no way I'm going to spend as much time working as living. And so, and I've actually crunched these numbers if you want me to do a quick mind blow. And so, yeah, this is a, this is a part of my work. I got to do it. So, okay. So 45 years, give or take 45 hours a week, which again, depending on your industry is probably super low, but let me just be conservative. And then let's say you get a two week vacation. That's 50. So 45 times 45 times 50. That is the number of hours you are going to work over the course of the average career, and it is over 100,000. Over 100,000 hours. Why would you go through that journey without purpose? Why would you go through that journey without perspective? Why would you go through a journey of 100,000 hours not believing in what it is that you do? And that's why I get so fired up about connecting the what to the why, because I'm like, dude, it's 100,000 hours. Like, that's a lot of time. 
I want to be happy. I want to be inspired. I want to be fulfilled. I want to feel alive. And so thinking about you, yes, I'm all about work-life harmony. Yes, let me go all in on work, but also, hey, you know, for those that let's say out there, the, the parents and you want to go to little Johnny's recital, you want to go to Susie's ballet, whatever the case is, you do you. And we got to let folks do what's important to them. So I just wanted to go on that quick riff because I think it's important to understand the difference between work-life balance and harmony. But now back to you with travel. And let's say somebody listening in says, Kaji, thank you for the Rex. Maybe that's a bit out there for me. And so how can I bring this back to my day-to-day -day life? And how could I gain the similar benefits of what you've gained from traveling at home? in the office, wherever I frequent every day, can I try to make this a little bit more tangible? Uh, so how would you respond to something like that? Yeah, I love that question. And I, I just want to hit on one thing that you were talking about earlier in that, you know, I, I think about my why and my purpose all the time. I would not have as good of a travel experience if I didn't feel like I earned it. And that because mm -hmm. that's because I love what I do. I put I am all in on everything that I do. I am not giving more to my travel than I give to my work. I am not. I, I love my job and I have so much purpose in that mm -hmm. and it gives me this feeling of earning the ability to go and travel and check out for a little bit and like experience yeah. these other things i don't think that i would have the same feeling about getting off the grid if i didn't feel like i earned it um and so that's that. a really important piece and conversely when i'm coming back from travel I can't wait to get back in the office. Like I am excited to see my people. Yes. I am excited to get like back in the chair. I am excited to like be behind the stage in my office and then go through the proverbial curtains and be on stage at a live event. Nothing fuels me more. That is so, that is so important to recognize that I love both of those things, which mm -hmm. allows me to create mm -hmm. that harmony. If you don't love what you're doing and the life that you've created, it's really hard to appreciate both sides. Um, for somebody that I think, and look, I haven't always just gone to the furthest corners. You can create experience and you can be intentional about recognizing cultural differences and perspectives. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it goes back to something you said where it starts with some self-awareness and being yeah. dialed into where you need to be on a mental health, a physical health, um, finding journaling, meditating, walking, yeah. exercise, podcasts, books, conversations. These are all quick mm -hmm. hacks to understanding how people operate. And the more that you can, and this is something else I talk about a lot, but you have to try to be interesting and curious always. Uh, and if you are hmm. in all things, you're not always going to be the most interesting person. I have so many clients I talk to. I'm like, wow, I could, you know, and we do, we sit in the <laughs> Lexus club and we miss the yeah. entire game because I'm so like, riveted by their story and I want to know more and how do you get there mm -hmm. and what did that mean? So by being curious, you then become more interesting because again, that's a cyclical thing yeah. that continues to feed on itself and you can do that every day with every conversation and even virtually. We're still connected. 
you're still even more so now you can reach out to people and be like hey paul i have seen you catapult through the ranks at all these different venues and vibes and iterations of yourself and your profession like i'd love to get five minutes who's saying no right now to somebody that wants to have a conversation so being interesting and being curious like Mm. those are the things that you know and how do you get interesting you ask questions, you're curious, you read, you listen, you participate, you're constantly trying to extrapolate information. And mm-hmm. I think that, that those are the things that uh, when you can bring both to the table, you have a robust conversation and experience. Uh, yeah. But if you don't have one or the other, I also say that it's just a non-starter. If you don't know how to ask questions, the most interesting person in the world could be sitting across from you and it goes nowhere, right? As we take a quick break from today's interview, a reminder of gratitude for our sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. If there's one thing I've seen in most successful people that I've come across, there are a few consistent habits, none greater than the daily practice of leveling up through the power of reading. Some of us like to crack a book open, while others prefer to listen in to our favorite authors narrate their written work of art. What could be better than a platform like Audible to make this habit a reality? To download your free audiobook today, Go to audible.playmakerspod.com. It's time to level up. So, all right, I'm going to put you in the hot seat here. Uh, This is a a perspective that I've heard from others that it is better to be, I'm going to piggyback on two things, interesting and interested. And if you had to choose one, so I, I hear most frequently, it is better to be interested than interesting. So I would ask you, do you agree with that? Or would you push back and say, no, it's better to be interesting. And then I have a follow-up. Is it better to be interesting or interested? Yeah. It goes along the same lines, right? Of being curious or being interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it, for me, interested. I, um, yeah, interested. Okay. So interested. So now I want to take this into you giving some shout outs for folks who is the most, especially, hey, it could be at the Lexus Club because we all know you got that backstage pass or whatever it is. But who is the most interesting person you have spent time with? And also, who have you been blessed to be around that is the most interested in you or in something else? The most interesting person, most interested person that you have come across and spent time with? Wow. That's a really good one. And I don't know if I've ever actually put framework around that and identifying there's so many people. Um, Interesting people. I will give a shout out to um, a friend of mine that lives in London. She's a writer for Condé Nast. She has three children and she is someone I met through another really good friend in New York. Um, But she has crafted a life for herself and her family that is completely um, unique to just her and her travels, her perspective, the way that she's able to absorb, digest, 
regurgitate and storytell, mm-hmm. which is another really important thing, yes. um, I think, for both of us. Um, she is just an incredible human, and she continues to amaze me and has never broken stride with her work and her passion, mm-hmm. but her ability to love and participate in family, friends, and other relationships is still something that I I respect tremendously. And so yeah. I, I really love look that. at hers. I mean, she flies planes. She scuba dives. She's, you know, climbed Mont Blanc. She's done just about every, you know, What's that, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider? Yes. Or as I was going to say another analogy. She sounds like the real version of the Dos Equis guy, most interesting man in the world. That's, that's her. She is literally just she plain really trains, is. automobiles. I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I can't it. say that I even know her so well, but when I do get a seat in front of her, I'm like, talk to me about what you're doing right now. I need to understand <laughs> your life. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. So she's yeah. amazing. And Great. one of the more curious people um, that comes to mind right now is um, Brock. He's, uh, he's yes. on my staff and he started a podcast mm-hmm. and he has created a space where he's um, amplifying stories, but he's done such a great job and I've really enjoyed listening and watching him engage yeah. and research and ask really yeah. genuine and authentic questions that um, not just with his podcast, but also when we go on prospecting meetings. And when we go Mm -hmm. on, um, client visits, uh, he is beloved because he is, he's so genuine and he's, and he's so genuinely curious, um, and wants to know like, how, why? Mm -hmm. Um, no, I, I've experienced that with him personally. And just to bring everybody into the fold in case they're like Brock, who? So Brock is wonderful. He works, uh, he's in Michelle's team and I got to know Brock. I actually interviewed him when I was at the 49ers. I believe at the time he might've been in Utah or he was, he's just climbing, but he did it in such an authentic way that he's just a guy that you just want people like this in your locker room. Just a beautiful soul, beautiful spirit. Of course, super phenomenal on the production side, but I, I think that is half the equation and he figured out the other half, which is the hard part. To me, producing and performing the what, you know what, if you're in the right job, go kick ass, go put numbers on the board, do your thing. But the hard part is to do it in a way that's authentic and purpose-driven and that gives you fuel. And then you figured out a way to pay it forward to the people around you. Like he is the epitome, if I could summarize him, in a world that's full of takers, he is a giver. That's it. That's it. Without any expectation of getting something back, right? Like you can give with the small hope that like, I'm going to do all this stuff for you, but like, I'm really going to be pissed if you don't end up buying seats for me, or I, I'm going to give you this little nugget, yeah, a little bit of guilt, little but bit of guilt. I'm going to be kind of upset if you don't give me a shout out, you know, like there isn't an agenda there. And I think that's yep. really important. And that's yeah. another really important piece of, uh, why, why I recognize that I do anything. It's because we have an opportunity to do a tremendous amount of good for a tremendous amount of people. And if we aren't using this platform to do that, then it's a Mm -hmm. huge miss, right? Whether that's mentoring or coaching or, um, you know, giving a a bigger stage to, or helping somebody get to the table. Uh, There's just so many great things about being where we are that you've got to, um, as I kind of put it, I just, I live to try to do as much good for as many people as possible. And that's, 
that's members. Those are prospects that have never bought. But I hope mm-hmm, I treat mm-hmm. everybody with the same level of respect and, and you know, just gratitude for them being in my life. Yeah, I love it. So my closing exercise and then closing question here. So we call this on Playmakers, the lifeline exercise. So Kaj, I'm going to put you in this situation. Imagine you have a blank sheet of paper and there's a horizontal line going right through the middle. To the left is birth, to the right is present day. So it's your journey to date. Above the line are the positive experiences, events, moments, memories, and below the line, it's the other side of life and the real side of life. And it's equally as important. So if I was to ask you and think of this as a peak in a valley, biggest peak that has influenced your life and who you are today, biggest valley that has impacted and influenced who you are today? Um, you know, I got 48 years to look back on, Paul, so this isn't an easy... Uh, I, I easy didn't age you. You did that to yourself. Go ahead and continue. Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, a huge peak for me was in college and fight on, Paul and I both yes, went to Yes, fight on, fight on. Let's, uh, let's call that out right now, is when I was in college, I decided to do a study abroad. And I lived in Madrid for six months, and it's there that I met my core group of friends that I am still um, just as close with today. That trip to Spain sort of unlocked my, um, sort of my youth into my adulthood. It mm-hmm. um, sparked my fuel for travel and for um, just appreciating life in a way that I might not have recognized had I not been international for all the reasons I talked about before. And that has been the compass of my life ever yeah. since then. So that was absolutely game changing on a very high, very positive note. I would say on on a downside, You know, there are there are certainly some some lows in there. I think what might be applicable to this conversation on more of a professional level is having some tough bosses and having been passed up for promotions that I thought I I had earned. And just that slice of uh, humility (laughs) that you have to eat Full circle through your through the course of your career was so great in hindsight that the negatives are still so good because I wouldn't change that for anything and it just mm-hmm. makes you uh, want to come back better stronger and the only obvious choice and if you're not you have to recognize that there's a reason and even if you become uber qualified who cares that means you are um, more than ready to accept uh, the challenge and the next step of your career. And so I, I look at that now in hindsight as just as being, as being great. And it's tough to swallow um, when you're in it. And sometimes that's a two to five year setback. And, uh, yeah. But it's, it's important to not be bitter. It's really important to just make sure that because of that, you get better. So on that topic, and and the one quick follow-on to that is, because I've had a similar experience in my life, and I always get asked, what's the how-to to to overcome that? Like, if you could provide one piece of tangible perspective or advice for everybody listening in, all right, so in this case, I didn't get the gig, I didn't get the dream job, I thought I was ready, and they took a pass, and it could apply to anything. What is one thing that everybody that can tap into this story can do in their life whenever they 
it's just a swing and a miss. Look at who does get hired. Look at who does get hired and look at the things and the the elements that they bring to the organization that you don't. And be fully self-aware in that you don't have those and it might be something that you need to get better at. And I've learned so often that me thinking I was the logical next choice or that I deserved X, Y, and Z um, wasn't so much a function of you couldn't do the job. It's, I just didn't know enough. I didn't have enough experience and there wasn't enough time built into my journey to give me the wherewithal to sit comfortably in that chair. And that's not something that you can achieve outside of just sitting back and waiting Right. It's not like anybody could put a finger on like, well, you need to be better at this. You need to be better at this. You didn't have this. You didn't have this. You could have probably figured it out, but you didn't have enough practical experience and enough time to be able to know how to more confidently and comfortably occupy that seat. Now, a lot of people get promoted and they, you know, people put a lot of faith in you and you can grow into it. Sure. Right. But mm-hmm. that time and experience and that journey that you're going to get with all the unknowns, right? Like that's just something you got to live through. Thank you for bringing us here. And this, for everybody listening in, if I could boil this down and Michelle just touched on experience, I would have three things that you have at your fingertips every single day. And this is regardless of profession, regardless of field, write these three things down. Experience, information, and relationships. How can you pick up experience today? What new information can you learn today? What relationship can you either build or enhance today? Any role can do this. Any person can do this in any country. Experience, information, relationships. That's how you make plays. And that's where Michelle just brought us. So I I really appreciate you getting us there. Did we even just do that intentionally? I feel like that summarizes our entire conversation. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> Way to get us that's, there, Paul. That's it. That's, that's a mic drop. And so here is going to be the true mic drop. All right. And then we're going to get out of here. If all of your expectations, obligations, responsibilities were taken care of, you literally have a blank canvas for the rest of your life to do what it is that you want to do. How, what would you spend the rest of your life working toward? Toward somehow making the world better through, through human connection or for the environment or for animals. Um, simple. And I, I, it's, it's a bit of a departure from what I'm doing right now, right? Like mm. rehabilitating, you know, white rhinos in Africa. But... <laughs> These are things that I, I, I really feel strongly about is, is how much we are decimating our natural resources. And I, I get a subscription to National Geographic and it, mm-hmm. it does a great job of giving information um, around some of where our natural resources are headed. And so I'm, I'm very aware and we get one, one world and it's incredible and it's beautiful. And, you know, I just feel like there's some things, pick the cause um, that 
yeah. we, we, we can do better and we can shine more of a spotlight on. And, uh, and I think that, you know, one person can make a difference. Um, one yes. person's energy and sphere of influence and um, impact can be, can be relevant in so many spaces. And so for as long as I'm at AEG and Staples Center, that impact is going to um, be ground zero, maybe not in Staples Center, but mm-hmm. in, in wherever I sit, I wanna make the biggest difference in our, in our company and our people and in um, the way that we can do things. Um, but I do look more globally at, yeah. at challenges and crisis. No, I, I love it. And you brought it full circle. You've already unleashed your impact in so many ways. And again, I'm not going to date you. You did it to yourself. But in in your years, you have unleashed massive impact. And I look forward. I know what you just said. You're going to attack it. I know you are. I know who you are. And so whenever that time comes, I got your back. Everybody listening in is going to be rooting you on. So go create the impact that you are destined to have. With that, Michelle, thank you for helping us all level up and create more plays in this world. Truly appreciate you being on Playmakers. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. What an awesome interview that we just had with Michelle. In my opinion, a perfect balance of inspiration and action. It's now time to make a play together. Based on one of our key takeaways, where we each have a game plan toward achieving success every day by building progress and momentum toward these three things. And this should sound extremely familiar as Michelle and I just touched on it less than a handful of minutes ago. Experience, information, and relationships. To level up in these areas, we should constantly be asking ourselves these three questions. Number one, how can I pick up new experience today? Number two, what new information can I learn today? And number three, what relationship can I either build or enhance today? Any person and definitely every playmaker can live to these standards every day. And if we can do this, that's how we make even more plays. Now, it's all about accountability and holding ourselves true to this plan. So allow me to offer a simple and practical tool for execution and follow through. It comes back to the age old adage that you must inspect what you expect. In other words, if this message you're listening to only stays in your mind and no action is ever taken, then definitely no progress and no momentum is going to be created. But if you can put your plan on paper and frequently monitor it, you have a much higher likelihood of leveling up your experience, information, and relationships. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to journal three things once a week. First, let's talk about timing. Pick a time in the week where you naturally flip the page from the week that was to the week that's coming. For some of us, this is a Friday after a long, hard-fought work week. For others, it's Saturday morning. And for many of us, it may be on a Sunday night. Whenever it is for you, put 15 minutes on the calendar during that window. Then when you sit down to journal, answer these three questions, all starting with, For this coming week, number one, 
How can I pick up new experience? Number two, what new information can I learn? And number three, what relationship can I either build or enhance? Then it's time to put action against all three and execute. So now let's dive a little bit deeper. When you sit down the following week, look back at the prior week's journal and ask yourself if you accomplish each of these three check marks, the first check mark with experience, the second with information, and the third with relationships. If you made the mark, awesome. Then you're going to pick a new goal in that same area for the following week. If for whatever reason you missed the mark, then you're going to carry it over to next week. A quick example. If your goal in the information bucket was to take a one-hour online course, if you did it, awesome, cross it off, and then for next week, you pick a new driver of information. But if you didn't do the online course, carry that same goal over to the following week. You're going to do this same exercise once a week going forward. And each time you're journaling both for the week to come and then auditing for the week that was. Lather, rinse, repeat. If you journal these three things and hold yourself accountable to the plan, game over, lights out, you will make more plays in life than you ever could have imagined. The key, as it always is, is in discipline and consistency. So as playmakers, meet me at the 50 and let's make this play of greater experience, information, and relationships together. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another playmaker. And for all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from today's show, but all previous episodes as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you get your favorite podcasts. If you gained significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, give us a five-star rating. And between now and the next Playmakers episode, let's stay connected. Hit me up on LinkedIn, at Paul Epstein, or Instagram, at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Motown Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers. Playmakers.